Hola mi gente, what up my people, my name is Pastor Rich Colon, I'm the lead pastor here at Santos Church, broadcasting to you live from Southwest Detroit, Michigan. Wherever you're listening from, I'm glad that you are listening. This podcast is meant to do one of two things, and that is either bring you our message content or it's content that we thought would enrich our message content. We'll have more information at the end of this episode on how you can get connected with us either in person, online, or on social media. But for now, thanks for listening to this podcast. Gracias para escuchando esto podcast. And let's get into it. Vamos. All right, so it is a really important and special Sunday here for Santos Church. It is Launch Sunday. We are open now in our building at 1953 Military Street in Detroit, Southwest Detroit, Michigan. Uh, We're open for weekly services, and so we're celebrating that today. And we thought it'd be fitting that for the next four weeks, we outline our values at Santos Church, right? And so if you haven't caught on yet, Santos is just the Spanish way of saying, Saints, right? Uh, Southwest Detroit, if you didn't know this, if you're not a local or you haven't been to the area, Southwest Detroit is predominantly Hispanic. And so there's a lot of only Spanish speakers, but then you also have a lot of bilingual people, uh, a lot of people that are fluent English, fluent Spanish. You have a lot of young Latinos, Latinas in their American Latinx experience speak mainly English. And so we wanted to just kind of encompass that and say, hey, we're here for all of it. We're in our neighborhood. We're a church for this community. Um, I'm Hispanic. My wife is Hispanic, right? And so we wanted to just kind of meet our culture where we're at, but then also be a bridge of cultures. And so we didn't go with Iglesia de Santos, which would be fully Spanish. We went with Santos Church for that like Spanglish vibe, you know? And so, uh, but but it just means, Santos just means saints. And so for the next four weeks, we're outlining what it means, what our values are around being a saint. And so our first one, week one, we're talking about faith, faith. Um, faith is kind of the cornerstone that this whole journey flows from. And so we thought it would be fitting that our first value and our first week um, of having church, we talked about faith. And so as I started brainstorming and going through and praying about the direction that, that this content, this message would take, I started thinking about my own journey in faith. And for me, it, it really got going in my teenage years, right? I wasn't brought up in a particularly Christian household. And so a lot of these conversations and questions and things, I kind of either entertained myself or I heard through, you know, different internet forms. We were still running off a of dial up. So I wasn't all over YouTube researching things or TikTok or whatever, but I found my ways, right? Or I would read a book, you know, go figure or different things like that. And a lot of it, I just kind of had to wrestle with or wrestle through because I didn't find myself amidst a lot of other people who believed like I believed. But before I really started wrestling, my faith experience was one that I would say was like optimistic, right? It was like proactive. I I distinctly remember looking for God and conditioning myself to look for God in the things around me, in the people around me, in the experiences that I had. Like, for example, this is true. I used to go for walks around my neighborhood, right? I just put on my headphones. I'd walk through the the neighborhood. And as I was walking, um, if I'd be praying or something to myself, if like the street light that I was walking by like flickered, I'd be like, oh, all right. 
I see you, God, right? Like God, God's showing me that he's here with me right now. Uh, one of my first jobs, I worked at CVS Pharmacy. I was in the photo lab. And so if somebody would come in and drop off photos or film, what's that, right? Um, if they dropped that off, I would have a positive interaction with them. Or if I, if I just kind of got this sense or this vibe from them, I'd be like, oh, okay, that's God. God's working in that. He, he wants me to do something here. Right. And so I was proactively looking for God's hand at work in the everyday things around me. And I, I don't think that's a bad thing. Actually. I think that's what Jesus would refer to as childlike faith, which is distinct and different from childish faith, right? A childlike faith that is able to take God at what he says and believe for the best and hope for God to do something special. Like that's, that's a good thing. But as I started wrestling with some of those questions and some of those doubts that inevitably came, I started asking myself things like, man, like, is God really there? When I'd see something that ordinarily I'd be like, oh, yo, that's definitely God. I'd, I'd be like, wait a minute. Like, is that really God? That's probably a coincidence. Like, that, this can't all be God. Like, God isn't doing this much in just my life. Or it'd be like, man, why does God even care? Like, why does God want to interact with me in this way? You know, why does God feel the need to tap me on the shoulder or do these things? And I just kind of grew more pessimistic than optimistic. And I'm happy to say that there was, there was definitely some times where I wrestled really hard and I felt more doubtful than I did uh, hopeful. There was times that I definitely felt more like agnostic than I did feel like, than I felt like a believer. But ultimately, I'm, I'm happy to say and praise God, he brought me through those seasons and, and I feel like he has restored to a great measure and is still restoring my optimism and my proactive look at life to, to be able to look and see God functioning in the everyday things, in the conversations with my kids or with my friends around me or seeing opportunities to step up and be Jesus to somebody else. But, uh, but no matter who you are, I think part of the human experience, if you're a believer or if you're seeking after faith in general, part of the experience is going through and at some point trying to process what this all looks like and how we grow and where's the proof and what does it all mean for us? And that's a good thing because I think God grows us in those times, but I think it could actually lead us to uh, something that hangs up a lot of believers or it hangs up a lot of people that are doubtful, uh, ultimately become doubtful that we're at one time hopeful of pursuing this faith, right? And I think that is coming to this place of encountering intellectual thought or entering into those quote-unquote intellectual conversations and feeling like we have to have all of the answers. And maybe we don't have to have all the answers for us, but we, we feel like we have to have all the answers for somebody else who's doubtful. Or maybe we have to have all the answers to be able to defend the, the faith in, in an effective way in case we ever find ourselves in a situation where it needs defending, right? And so the, the problem is, though, is I think far too many believers spend more of their time trying to gain head knowledge instead of focusing on the experience that Jesus wanted us to have in order to grow us in our faith and make us more like him. And so today, if you want to take, like, I, I, 
I'm not a huge fan of making, you know, like one point, you know, one big overarching point. But if you could take a point from this, I, I think the point would be this, is that our faith isn't one that has the need to have all of the answers real tidy and black and white and presented in a, in a formal document all the time. I think that's kind of missing the point. I think our faith isn't one that, that requires us to have all the answers as much as it does urge us to take action. And that the statement I would make around that is that our faith is strengthened most when we are being faithful. So our faith is grown and strengthened and knit together with other believers in their faith journey when we find ourselves being faithful to try to live into that life that Jesus modeled for us, right? That isn't to say that our actions qualify us or our actions are what bring us uh, into God's good graces, or as some would say, our actions or our works don't save us, right? Depending on how you want to word that or look at it. However, I think it's a testimony to what James tells us in scripture, where he says, faith without works is dead. Because faith, if you really believe in something, it's going to dictate and direct what you do works, right? And so it's not so much about our works earning us a valid faith. It's more that our faith means enough and is real enough and holds enough weight in our life that it causes us to live differently and it causes us to act differently. And hopefully those actions and those ways of living reflect the ones that Jesus laid out for us. And so today, as we talk about a core value of what it means to be a saint, right, uh, what it means to really live into that and to be a believer in Jesus and a follower of Jesus as our Lord, but also as our rabbi that we try to model after, right, we're talking about this faith that Jesus calls us into that asks us to do more than have the right answers. It asks us to move and to go and to do. And so today, that is what we're going to talk about. I want to show you just a couple of passages that I think show this in a really simple way. And so if you're listening to this, don't feel that like if you're driving, that's where that's why I do a lot of my listening or I'm walking. That's where I do a lot of my listening as well, walking from the church building to my house right up the street. And um, if you're doing that, don't feel the need to pull out like your Bible and, you know, be thumbing through it or whatever. You might bump into somebody or if you're driving worse. Right. And so just kind of bookmark this for later or make a mental note. But if you are somewhere that you could follow along or you want to pull out your app and highlight it, um, we're going to be all over the book of Matthew. And the book of Matthew is one of the gospels. The gospels are the four books, right? at The beginning of the New Testament to tell of Jesus's birth, life, ministry, death, resurrection, ascension, and uh, calling of his followers to go and to live. And so if you're following along, uh, we're going to be in the book of Matthew. We're going to start in chapter 4, and first we're going to read verses 18 through 22. And so some context to this is when Jesus is beginning his like formal ministry period, right? Jesus is going out and he's equipping or he's calling and building his team, right? His team of followers, his disciples. And these are like a ragtag bunch of guys. They're like, you know, kind of like hot mess kind of dudes, right? A lot of them are like what in today's society would be like blue collar workers. That's not to say blue collar workers are hot messes. That means like, I mean that if you read through the gospels, 
these guys like Peter, Judas, they they were some hot messes, but he, he did Jesus wasn't calling the uh, elite in society. He was just getting after guys who were like normal dudes like you and me that would just get after it and that he could grow with and that he could model what to do for. And so as Jesus is building this team, that's where we come into it in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. And he's actually calling four of his disciples, two sets of brothers. And this is what we see from Jesus right here. So starting verse 18, it says, as Jesus is walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were both in a boat with their father, Zebedee, that's a fun name to say, and they were preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. And so in that society, in their day, in their time, in that context, it's important to note that like rabbis were like like well-respected teachers, right? And so rabbis, their their main way of teaching was to model what their students or their followers were to do. And so rabbis would have like a group of followers or students or disciples, and they would watch how the rabbi interacted with people. They would watch what he did. They would do what he did. They would try to emulate him. And so Jesus is kind of extending this like rabbinical offer to them, right? Like he's like, hey, y'all come be my students. Come follow me. Like essentially come do what I do. And so you see Jesus making this like really simple, straightforward invitation really into faith and lifestyle change. Like Jesus says, come, right? Like join me in relationship, which as believers, this is what we define as our faith is relationship with Jesus. And so Jesus says, hey, come join me in relationship and follow me. Join me in relationship and now do what I do. That's like the long and short of it right there. Come, follow me. Dwell in relationship, do what I do, right? And so after Jesus uh, finishes calling the 12, like locating and inviting the 12 disciples, this is what we read. Matthew chapter 10, a little bit later now in Matthew, verses 1 through 4, it says this, Then Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. Then it goes on to list the names of the 12. But I think it's important to point out that you have right here, uh, the first one that he names is Simon, also known as Peter, right? And then after you get along a little bit further down, you have Judas, and it literally says the one who betrayed him. So you have Peter, the one who would deny him three times. And then you have Judas, the one who would be instrumental in turning Jesus over to the Roman government. And it literally names the two right there. But the first line of that says that Jesus still summoned them over and he gave them authority to do things with their faith. He gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. 
So again, we see Jesus like calling them, saying, hey, come and follow me. And then Jesus calls them collectively in this group. And he says, hey, all of you, now you have authority. Like you have power to do these things. Like these things have to listen to you. Unclean spirits, sicknesses, all of that. Like those things have to listen to you now. So as you are growing in relationship with me and learning the intricacies of what this is all about and what my kingdom stands for, you are simultaneously going to be doing this work. And so I think it's important to point out that Jesus's invitation to faith is an invitation to grow while journeying through life as we move with Jesus and we do what Jesus model, modeled for us to do. It, it doesn't start and end with just forgiving your neighbor, although that's the way of Jesus. It doesn't end with breaking bread together though that is the way of Jesus. It doesn't start or end with feeding the hungry and clothing the naked, although that is the way of Jesus, and we're going to talk about that later on in a couple weeks. But ultimately, it's a holistic approach. It's growing as an individual with Jesus, but then also serving and growing collectively as individuals in this faith, fellowship, towards Jesus and mimicking Jesus so that way the world can see him in us. But that's not even the entire picture. We're missing pieces of the puzzle if we forgive our neighbor, we break bread with people and set the table and make the table longer. If we feed the hungry and clothe the naked and we miss this glaring directive that Jesus also gives us. If you look even later still in the book of Matthew, now chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, Jesus had been resurrected or crucified and resurrected at this point. And it says this, it says, then the 11 disciples, right? Because minus Judas, uh, the disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. Here's a good point to, to really look at here. Don't pass over this. They worshiped him. And then it says, but some doubted. So even still in their midst, there were some that had their doubts. These aren't people that were just like had superstar guru level enlightenment faith in Jesus. Like it says, some worshiped and some were actually doubting. But Jesus coming to them right there, he, he says this to them. Verse 18, he says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus's invitation from the moment he drew them into relationship out when they were fishing and casting out their nets in the water was to come and to follow, right? To come be with me and to do what I do. And even right before Jesus leaves the earth, the directive that he gives them is one and the same. The invitation 
It's to believe in what had happened, right? The authority now is given to me. Like, look, look at that. Like, I possess the authority in heaven and earth. Like, I have that. It's been given to me in this. Now go and make, baptize them, teach them to obey, and know that I'm with you. Come be with me. Go, I am with you. Jesus is right there in the midst of the call that he's put on us to do, to be, to make, to teach, to follow. I think it's interesting too that Jesus says, teach them, right? This isn't a case to go against like reading and doing your homework on like faith and, 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 and getting into maybe like fun conversations. I think those can be sharpening conversations when we talk about how history dances with uh, Jesus and the life of Jesus and scripture. I think it's, it's sharpening to talk about how science plays into all that. And I'm not downing any of that, but I think too many of us feel the temptation to get drawn into those kind of like sidebar conversations. And then once we get more head knowledge, once we read more or research enough, we feel better about where we are. We start to feel like giants in the faith, right? Like we start to feel kind of like untouchable in the faith, like because we know so much and we have this like indestructible faith and we have a defense and an evidence and a proof ready for any argument that could come at us. But ultimately, I think that can be a snare for us because Jesus doesn't say, go teach them to study more, go teach them to, you know, do all these and accumulate head knowledge and go teach them to teach, you know, all these different things and go teach them to have more conversations and hold more small groups so that way they can be built up more. And more. Jesus says, teach them to obey what I've commanded. And if you go through scripture and look at what Jesus commanded, every one of Jesus's commandments was an action. Teach them to do as I've modeled for you. You've been with me. You've learned from me. You've seen my kingdom firsthand. Show up and turn everything upside down. And the things that I've modeled for you, the life that I've shown you how to live, you go and teach them to obey that too. Go teach them to commit to those same things, to walk out that same action, to go and be, to go and do, to go and make, to get to work, man. Like, let's get busy. And I think... As we said before, Jesus does that because this isn't like a this isn't like a hey, let's go take a course and and then at the end we're going to pop quiz you on if you're a Christian or not. Jesus James gave us the litmus for that. Show me your works and I'll show you your faith. Again, not that faith, not that not that works buys your faith, not that works gets you saved, not that works brings you to a higher place and a more front row seat into heaven, but your faith and the reality of it in your life will dictate how you live. And I think Jesus wants us to see 
that the life he's called us to, the faith he wants us to embody is one of finding our place in our faith, right? Like even in the midst of doubt and wrestling and questions, Jesus knows that as we live this out the way that he modeled, we will see God's hand in our life. We will have a front row seat to the amazing things that he's doing. We'll meet more people in feeding the hungry or clothing the naked. We will see God's hand at work and it will build our faith more and more and we'll get a more accurate picture of God's kingdom in our life. To me, it's the difference between reading a movie script or watching the movie on the screen. We could read the script all day and really know the intricacies of the movie in our head, but it won't hit your heart until it's in action. And Jesus wants your heart just as much as he wants your head. Jesus wants your heart just as much as he wants to capture and 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 have a place in your mind, a place in your intellect, to know that there's room for that in those conversations. Jesus wants you to know that this is a holistic thing. It's not one or the other, but as a matter of fact, you will grow in one by doing the other. And so for you, maybe you find yourself in a place of doubt or with little motivation to go and to do or to go and to take any sort of action like what we've talked about today. Maybe you find yourself in a place of wanting to see God just do more in your life or the life of those around you. Maybe you're at a place where like you're just struggling to believe any of it. My encouragement for you is to take up Jesus on his invitation. Give it a shot. That, that, that invitation that we started with. The same invitation that Jesus gave to, to the two brothers by the Sea of Galilee in Matthew chapter 4. When he says, come and follow me. My encouragement to you is to accept Jesus. Give Jesus a shot on that invitation to come and be in relationship with him and to follow him and see what this life that he modeled for us, a life that he said is more abundant. See what this is all about. The invitation is one that's twofold, both to know God by spending time with him and to know him better by modeling him to those around us. So that way they might know him too. This this thing isn't complete if it just stays with us. This thing isn't complete if it just stays in a small group conversation or Bible study. This thing isn't an accurate reflection of what Jesus called us to if it ends with us not taking action, not moving with urgency. Our faith is reflected best when we are moving towards what Jesus modeled for us. That's not to say that your doubt, if you have doubt, doesn't matter and that you shouldn't focus on it. But I would say to take a step like Peter, right, in the midst of your faith or the storm that you're going through, take a step out and give God a chance to show you his work in your life. For us as saints, santos, right, we're called to know God. One of our, one of our visions, uh, vision statement, half of it for the church is, well, the whole thing is know God, love differently, right? And so 
We're called to know God. But in that, not just us know God, we're called to help others know God as well. This is finding faith and finding our place amongst the faithful. Our faith is strengthened when we are faithful. Our faith is increased when we resolve to keep the faith and stay on the course of what Jesus called us to do. And the beauty in it is that through this process, our faith will be strengthened, will be grown, it'll be fruitful, and others will be invited to know Jesus as well. So will you take Jesus up on his invitation? Wherever you're listening from today, I just want to pray for you. Where are you at in this? Maybe today is your chance to turn the page over and say, hey, let's give this another go. Jesus, I I accept your invitation to come dwell in relationship with you, and I'm going to follow you. I'm going to try. Like, it's it's messy, right? Like, none of us ever gets it perfect, right? That's not the point. Perfection is not the point. Movement, momentum, action. That's the point, right? A church that's alive so the world can see it and can see a depiction of Jesus that is relevant and that is real and that is lively and colorful and attractive today because the world needs it. So let me pray for you today because you have a spot in there, in the community, in the household of faith, amongst the faithful. Come and follow so that others might come and follow and know God as well. Let me pray for you. Dear Jesus, I love you, and I thank you so much for your invitation to everybody, to anybody. No matter where they are, no matter where they're from, no matter what they've done, the invitation to come follow you, to dwell with you, to to mingle in relationship, to learn who you are personally and intimately, God, to, to experience your kingdom firsthand in our life. And Jesus, the fact that you invite us in to see that done, like, Lord, the avenue that you chose to work through was people like me and like everybody listening to this to work through us to draw other people into that faith as well. Jesus, thank you for that. And thank you for what you are doing in Southwest Detroit, in Santos Church, and in the life of everybody listening to this right now. God, I love you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Hey, thanks again for tuning in to the Santos Church Podcast. We hope that you were blessed by what you heard today and that it moves you towards action and greater faith in Jesus. If you'd like to connect with us more, you can find us online at santoschurch.org. And that's also a great place to give if you'd like to contribute to the ministry and our mission here in Southwest Detroit. If you're on Instagram, you can connect with us at Santos Detroit or Facebook, and it's facebook.com slash Santos Church Detroit. If you find yourself in the Detroit area, we'd love to have you in person Sunday mornings at 11, 1953 Military Street. Either way, hablamos pronto. We'll talk to you soon.